Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 podcast, where we share the sermon of the week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. Aurelius, Aurelius Augustinus was uh, the famous St. Augustine. If you're familiar with St. Augustine, uh, they sometimes tag uh, St. Augustine of Hippo, which is the Northern African region. I wonder why. And uh, he was born in uh, 354, and uh, he was a Roman with a name like that. And uh, he left the pantheistic God system of Rome and became a Christian when he was 32. And uh, he became one of the greatest theologians of the early church. And he, he wrote this. To fall in love with God is the greatest of all romances. To seek him is the greatest adventure. To find him the greatest of human achievement. Lord, we ask today that it was dig, as we dig into your word, as we understand who you are, that we would... Listen closely with our spirit, Lord, that we'd hear your voice and that we would know uh, exactly who we are in your kingdom and our responsibilities. We love you today. Thank you for this time together. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to uh, get a a portion of scripture. If you didn't get a text that talked about maybe bringing some note-taking device, you should uh, really sign up to get the weekly text. Sometimes you get a couple in the week. Uh, You can do that by filling out that uh, information card, that guest card, drop it uh, by the information center on the way out so you can be aware of what's what's going on, what you need to know. Uh, But what I'm going to share with you, you're not going to be able to remember. So either you're going to have to take notes today, you're going to have to listen to the podcast and and take some notes. Because what I want to share with you during this series over the next three weeks is something that I I believe genuinely genuinely will change your life. It'll change your walk with Jesus and change the way that you think of church and change the way that you think of worship and all those types of things. So uh, I believe it's impactful information. And everything I want to tell you today is found in one little portion of scripture, and that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just the first 14 verses. So I'm going to read that to you. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen. But it's important for us to have this this as the backdrop for what we're about to learn. Okay? Everybody good? All right, great. When all the work, everybody say work. Uh Uh-huh. When all the work Solomon had done. Now, what's, I'll just tell you what's happening here. The temple is being built. It's now completed. We're going to move the furniture in. David, you moved furniture into your new house yesterday. Yes. You know the work that that takes, right? Right. So it's a big deal. The temple has been completed. David couldn't build it. David was a man of war. He figuratively and literally had blood on his hands. So Solomon had to build the temple. It's called the first temple. It happened around 950 B.C. So when the work of Solomon had done for the temple of the Lord, it was finished. He brought in the things his father David had dedicated, the silver, the gold, and all the furnishings, and he placed them in the treasuries of God's temple. Then Solomon summoned to Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribe and the chiefs of the Israelites' family, and he brought up the ark of the Lord's covenant from Zion, the city of David. And all the men of Israel came together to the king at the time of the festival in the seventh month. When all the elders of Israel had arrived, the Levites took up the ark. And you know the ark because you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay, I don't have to explain that to you. So the elders of Israel had arrived. The Levites took up the ark and they brought up the ark and the tent of meeting and all of the sacred furnishings in it. The priests who were Levites carried them up. And King Solomon, the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark sacrificing so many sheep and cattle. How many? Uh, No one can count. You know how many times things are counted in the Bible? All the time. And they give you specifically how many numbers there are. How many of each thing? I, I don't know. There was just so many. I don't know there was so many. Verse seven. The priests... Then brought the ark of the Lord's covenant to its place, the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. I am in Hebrew is an E sound. We always say cherubim in English, but it's actually pronounced cherubim, 
beam being a plural ending. Verse eight, the cherubim then spread their wing over the place of the ark and they covered the ark and its carrying poles. These poles were so long that the ends extending out of the ark could be seen in front of the inner sanctuary, but not from outside the holy place. They were still there today. There is nothing in the ark except what? Now there's only two tablets that Moses had placed there at Horeb where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out of the captivity in Egypt. And so the priests then withdrew from the holy place. All the priests were there. They had consecrated themselves regardless of their divisions. Now we're going to drill down a little bit further into worship in these last couple verses. All the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Heman, Jedathan and their sons and relatives, all of them got together. They stood on the east side of the altar, dressed up in their just beautiful Easter clothes, their fine linen, right? The good looking clothes, it's a day of celebration. And they were playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. That would be electric guitars. And they were accompanied, look at this, by 120 priests who were also sounding trumpets, shofars. The trumpeters and the singers joined in unison as with one voice to give praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments. They raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang. Here's the song. He is good and his love endures forever. They must have sang it more than once, I would think. So, you know, this is not, it's not a hymn. It's just, we're just going to keep singing this phrase over and over again. We're going to meditate and we're going to sing it. It's going to drop into our spirit. He is good and his love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord, here it is, the climax, filled with a cloud, the Shekinah glory. And the priests could not perform their service because of that cloud for the glory of the L-O-R-D, capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah God Almighty, yod Hey vav Hey. Y-H-V-H, Jehovah, God of gods, very God of very gods, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things are made. The Lord of glory came and filled the temple of God. Okay. You ready? We're going to go. Take a verse at a time real quick here. Verse number one. When all the work was finished... They brought the gold and the silver into the treasuries. Two words for you to underline, two words to, to note. First of all, there was work involved in this worship. Sometimes we think that work and worship don't go hand in hand, but they do. There is a work called worship. Well, what is the work for you and I to do? I'll tell you this. It begins with forgiveness. See, we're jumping right off the high dive this morning, ladies and gentlemen. We're getting right into the deep waters because let me tell you something. As long as you can touch bottom, you're not swimming. You want to swim with the Lord, you got to go to the deep waters. Isn't that what Jesus told the disciples? Come on out here. Come on out here a little bit deeper. Here's how worship is going to begin for you. You and me. Now, faith without works is dead. And the work that we have to do in worship is this. Forgive you don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I, God, can't you just take my worship? Because I still got a grudge against Larry or Susie or Tom or Beth or my mom or my dad or my kids or my wife or my spouse or the government or the mayor or the president or somebody. I got a BA. Bad attitude. I got a bad attitude towards a whole bunch. Of, no, you got to let it go. Just like Frozen. Faith that works. The work for us, it starts with forgiveness. Then what do we do? Watch. In, the, in that verse, it says that they placed their silver and their gold in the treasuries of the temple as part of their worship. What is that? That's your tithe. That's offering. That's building fund. That's missions giving. That's love offerings. Someone this week found out we'd finished the second floor, finishing the second floor upstairs. We got more education coming online. It's powerful. This person said, we need from the road, you know, the road, the blinds on the first floor look beautiful. The blinds on the second floor look like science lab people lived there, you know? So all those are being changed out with the brand and just wrote a check for all the blinds. 42 blinds, 42 blinds. Why? Because the gold, and, the gold and silver is part of worship. I said, when you, give your, when you give the Lord's tithe and his offering, that's part of the worship service. It is worship unto the Lord. 
Next verse. Then Solomon, who was the leader of the day, summoned, uh, summoned to Jerusalem the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribe and the chiefs of the Israelite families to bring up what? The ark of the Lord's covenant from Zion, Zion to the city of David. First Peter 2.9 says that we, and we're going to emphasize this during the course of worship, our talk on worship, and that is this, that you are the priesthood. Just get that into your mind. When you read things like this in the Old Testament, you immediately begin to say, that's my responsibility. Because First Peter 2.9 says that you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. Now, you may not think that of your neighbor next to you, then that's just fine. Think of yourself that way. If you are a priest of God, that will change the way you live your life. I am a representative of the kingdom of heaven. I am a priest. I'm not advocating you go out and get a black shirt with a little white thing right there. But I am telling you, if you go down to St. John's to go pray for somebody, park in the clergy parking lot. There's no such thing as clergy and laity in the New Testament. We're all priesthood. Yes? It's important to know. And so the ark is where God's presence dwelled. That's what brings us here today because we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what are you getting at, Eric? I mean, isn't God always with us anyway? Yes, his presence is always with us. But his presence can become more central in our life. And I don't, I don't know how else to say it except for we become more attuned we become more attuned to his presence. Like I'm going to say something that's going to change the way you view this room when I ask you to look for something that's blue. Look around. I see Chris's shirt's blue. Stand up, Chris. Nobody even noticed Chris a minute ago, but now look at Chris. Chris has got a blue shirt on. That's amazing. Who else has something blue on? Why don't you stand up? Well, we want to see your blue shirts. Blue shirts, any blue shirts? Look at this. Look at all these beautiful people. You didn't even notice these people wearing blue before, but now they're wearing blue. Why is that? You become more aware of his presence. You may be seated. See, in a worship service, when all of a sudden you go, man, God showed up. He's as real in that moment as he was 10 minutes before. You've just now begun to look for him more intently. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, I believe God shows up and he makes a visitation, but our desire is for that visitation to become a habitation as you attune your spiritual eyes to see him in the room. Not just in this room during worship, but at two o'clock in the morning when your baby's crying. On Friday afternoon when you gotta pay your grocery bill. God's in those moments. He's as real then. And, And to the extent that you recognize that as a priest, that you're carrying the very presence of God in your temple, it'll change the way that you move through your life. Next verse, three. And all of Israel came together to the king at the time of the festival in the seventh month. I love this. You know why? Because worship happened at a festival. The dedication of the temple happened at a festival. Now we read all about mourning and weeping and gnashing of teeth and fasting and all that kind of stuff where we just get, you know, just we rent our clothes. No, when we're talking about worship, worship is a time of celebration for us. Why? Because we're victors. We've read the end of the book, we win. And no matter what trial or circumstance you're going through, there's still, that light at the end end of the tunnel is not a locomotive coming at you. It's the presence of the Lord. And so worship is a celebration. I've got the... Where? (laughs) All right, all right, all right, all right. Right, right. The Bible says the kingdom of God is like a party. For us, every year is the year of Jubilee. Every day is the Sabbath day of rest. Every hour is happy hour. David returned the ark. Remember when David brought the ark back to Israel, what happened? Second Samuel chapter six, everybody was dancing and singing. Jesus describes the prodigal's return in Luke chapter 15. Oh, there's the prodigal. Let's all weep and mourn. No, let's party. Kill the fatted calf. Get out the nice clothes. Let's have a party. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a wedding banquet. And on and on it goes. 
So when we come to worship, here's what happens. We do the work, first of all. What's the work? We have to come into a place of forgiveness. It says in Matthew 5, 23, therefore, if any of you are offering your gift at the altar, and there then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar first, and then go be reconciled to your brother. Then, then come and offer your gift. Notice it says, notice it says, if they have something against you, Let's say you've let it go, but they still have something against you. That's still your responsibility to go make sure, hey, listen, man, I'm, I, I'm sorry. Forgive me if I hurt your feelings there, man. I, that wasn't my intent. Boom. Now, what they do with that is up to them. I said, what they do with that is up to them. But now it's off of your chest. It's off of your account. Then come to the altar and worship. I'll tell you what. You'd be surprised at your level of joy and peace and the intensity of your worship when you stop holding grudges and, and get rid of that unforgiveness in your life. Then we bring the Lord's tithe and our offerings. Notice I said the Lord's tithe. It's not your tithe. It's his tithe. Whether you give it to him or not, it's still his. I do not want to go on vacation spending the Lord's tithe to do that. It's his tithe. I mean, I, 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 I want to take a second and just, I, re, I just now remembered a sermon I preached many years ago about tithes. And um, I, I, I had a box of 10 donuts and I gave the 10 donuts to somebody. And they were just so help, thankful that I gave them a box of Krispy Kreme donuts. And I gave them the 10, and I said, could I have one of those back? They said, sure, and they gave it to me. I mean, what, what, a small, what a small symbol, but the reality of how it is that everything God has given you is Krispy Kreme donuts. Surely you'll give one of them back to him. He gave them all to you in the first place. So it's the Lord's tithe of offering. Then what? We, the priests... Go into the presence of the Lord. We attune ourselves to his presence. And then we prepare to party. We're going chronology, chronologically in this story, what we've done. Preparing the work, going into his presence, getting the Ark of the Covenant, verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel had arrived. The Levites took up the Ark. And they brought that Ark in the tent of meeting. And all the sacred furnishings, that Ark of the Presence was brought into the temple. That is our heart. We bring the Ark of God into, not our spirit, our spirit is, we bring the ark, the presence of God, into our soul. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Praise the Lord. Simple line, Psalm 103. What's your soul? Your mind, your will, and emotions. Well, God has saved me. I'm a, I'm a born-again spirit, but I still think you're a pile of dung. Why? Because my, my mind is not renewed. My mind, my will, my emotions. So I'm, go I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. God's living in this temple. Where it's my heart, it's my soulish realm. That's where God sets up his, his, his rule so that your mind can be redeemed. Your will can be, you've tried to will yourself sober. You've tried to will yourself whole. You've tried to will yourself to do all kinds. Of, how much easier is it when the one who created you comes up alongside and says, let me help you do that? Yeah. That's when you surrender your mind and your will. I surrender my will. And the type of that was on the day that I married my wife 38 years ago. The two became one. It is a prototype of what God has done for you and me. Not my will. We are now, we're together in this. What's your will? Let's, let's work this out. Let's figure it out. And then my emotions. I like that God, when God saved me, he saved my emotions too. Well, I'm just not emotional. Well, I beg to differ. You are emotional. Oh, no, I'm not. Well, lick your finger and stick in that light socket over there and then tell me you don't have any emotions. <laughs> hey, speaking of emotions, my wife and I have been, our, been doing our little emo, emoji wheel for the last week. I don't know if anybody else is. Some of you slackers. I know you're slackers. It's all right. You know, it's all right. I mean, you only get out of it what you put into it. But every night, I take that thing off the refrigerator. I throw it there on the, on, between us having, having dinner. And we sometimes go, oh, oh. Why? Because I got to go through my day and I got to think about when I was angry, when I was mad, when I was sad, when I was lonely, you know. But I'll tell you, it's helpful. And I'm thankful that God saved my emotions. Keep reading verse 5. Let's find out what happens. So the priests, who were the Levites, carried them up. Who carried it? Say the priests. Who were the priests? Say us. Note this. When we go into a time of worship, 
it is not me alone. It's not myself trying to bring the presence of the Lord here. I was in a, I was in a, a master's class. I was taking a master's in speech communication at Mankato State University in the early 90s. And um, I, my professor at the time, he let me do a, uh, a, uh, um, a actually the class was on uh, preaching. And, he, and he, he's like, how do you deal with being responsible for bringing the presence of the Lord? And he's not saved. He's at a secular university, but I've, they're allowing me to do a, a, the speech communication in uh, preaching, homiletics. And I said, listen, it's not my responsibility. It's collectively our responsibility. If worship isn't good today, it's not my fault because I carried his presence. I'll try it again. See, I can worship, I can worship anywhere. I can, I can go to a church where, where, where the spirit of God may not even be welcomed at all and they start singing songs about God. My spirit comes alive. I'm gonna worship. I'm gonna worship God. So it's not my responsibility, totally, or the worship teams or the greeters, the ushers. It's all of us together because you are a chosen generation. It's the priests who are responsible for carrying the ark. You walk out today, you go, ah, you know, I, 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 didn't, I didn't meet God during worship today. Well, it's your own fault. It was your own fault. Well, you know, the seats were too hard, the symbols were too loud, the lights were too bright. It's just not my style. The room was too warm. The room was too cold. The person standing in front of me, blah, 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 blah. You know, when you're five years old and you tell your mom and dad why you didn't make your bed? When you're five years old and you tell them why you didn't take the trash out when they told you to take the trash out? Do you think any of those excuses fly? No. They'll listen to the whole thing and they'll go, nah, it doesn't negate the fact that I told you what you need to do. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I mean, it's just that simple. Do it. Enter into his courts with thanksgiving. It's your responsibility. So let's keep reading. We carry the ark, verse six. Then King Solomon... And the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark. And what were they doing? Sacrificing so many sheep, so many cattle, they could not be counted. Now, earlier I alluded to the fact that they, all throughout the Bible, count all kinds of stuff. In 1 Kings chapter 8, unrelated, 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep. That was counted. 120,000 sheep were counted. But now we're in a situation during worship there's just so many, we can't even count them. Imagine a city of sheep the size of Springfield. 120,000 sheep. 22,000, that's if it's the same number. 22,000 cattle, what is that, like the city of Lincoln? So you got a Springfield of sheep, you got a Lincoln of cows, and they all got to die. It's going to take a while. It's going to be extravagant. It's going to be intentional. It's going to be on purpose. So much that the altar couldn't hold it. I mean, I don't know how long it, I don't know how long it takes to kill 120,000 sheep, but probably longer than a 15-minute worship service. Now, some people say, and I, I've heard it, you've seen it. You know, they, they do praise and worship for 20 or 30 minutes, but you know, I'm there for the preaching of the word, and you show up late, you don't come for the worship. I, 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 I've encountered it, I've done this now for 35 years. I, I've been around the mountain a few times. And should I ever have an opportunity to speak to a person like that, like right now? I would say, I would say, if you don't like to worship, you're going to hate heaven. So if you got an attitude about worship, because it's just not the way you like it, 
or it's too short or too long or too hot or too cold, or too loud, whatever. You need an attitude adjustment. There was a thing back in the day, you used to say attitude adjustment, you'd have to say praise the Lord. Anybody old enough to remember that? Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Praise the Lord. I'm thankful we don't bring cattle and sheep. It'd be a messy place in here, wouldn't it? But what do we bring? We bring the fruit of our lips. That's what we bring. In Hebrews 13, 15, though Jesus therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice, a prayer, I don't feel like it. Tough, do it anyway. I don't want to make my bed. Too bad, make it anyway. I don't want to take you out the trip. Too bad, do it anyway. I don't like the words. Too bad. You better have an attitude adjustment. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Praise the Lord. We offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, openly professing his name. Now, I was going to make this. Can you put that QR code up for me, please? All right, I got this great idea from the halls last week. This is so cool. So watch this. You can, you can do, get this now if you want. Because I, a number, like, I don't know, 25 years ago, I wrote a, a document on frequently asked questions about praise and worship. Why do we lift our hands? Why do we sing in tongues? Why do some people like they fall out or whatever? How come we do this? How come we clap? How come we do this? How, and it's a list of frequently asked questions about praise and worship. So I, I, I found it. I tweaked it. I'm, I massaged it to the, 20, to the 21st century. And uh, I put it in this beautiful trifold brochure. I gave it to Aaron. I said, Aaron, I, I want this trifold brochure. He goes, What's a trifold brochure? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like handing somebody an eight track tape, a, a trifold brochure, I guess. And so I said, we need to pass them out. He said, we'll just, we'll just put it. This way you can have it on your phone. You can have it forever. It's on the website as well uh, with beautiful, cool little drop downs. It's the modern equivalent of a trifold brochure. But a lot of things that I'm not able to cover today or in the next couple of weeks, you're going to find answers in this FAQ. So if you're interested, scan that. And uh, maybe we'll put it next week's too, Aaron. Or put it in the rolling announcements or something for a while uh, so that people can find it out what's going on. But um, you, say, you say, Pastor, I, you know, I, I don't, the fruit of my lips given that, I got nothing, I got nothing to be thankful for. You look at your little emoji wheel, there's zero joy, no joy. It's just loneliness, it's hurt, it's sad, right? I've, I've, I've experienced that. You may have experienced that, and this last week may have been one of those weeks. So you come in here, and you don't have the joy, 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 joy down in your heart. you got nothing to offer him. I disagree. In Psalm chapter 15, verse 17, the psalmist writes, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a remorseful heart. You won't deny that. You won't despise that. So listen, there's zero excuse you didn't have a great week. You didn't win the $102.5 billion lottery ticket. I wish you went to this church. We'll pray for you after you give your money. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Say, I didn't have a great week. I didn't win the lottery. I, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't have a great week. The, listen, I have bad week. You know the weeks when everything goes great? Yeah, I didn't have one of those last week. You know how? Let's start with this. My septic tank backed up. Can we start with that? Yeah, yeah. And then it drips through my ceiling into my bed. But I was praise the Lord this morning. Praise the Lord, oh my soul, praise the Lord. If I don't have anything to offer but a busted up, broken heart, God will still take that. God, I got nothing to give you. I had the word, I got an wreck. my dog died, my, you know, all that stuff that happens in country songs. All that stuff happened to me. All that stuff happened to me, and, but yet you can still come and praise the Lord. So let's recap. 
We do the work of forgiveness. We bring our gold and silver in the offering. We're just, we're just following the story. We bring our gold and silver, our offerings. We are the priests. We follow the leader into his presence. We attune ourselves to the color blue or become acutely aware of who he is in our presence. Then we prepare to party and we open our mouth. We open our mouth, we give the fruit of our lips, verse seven. Then the priest brought the ark of the Lord's covenant to the place of the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. They all brought it together. Where did they, now, if you're not familiar with the layout of the temple, maybe we'll cover that next week or the week after, but there's a, there's a specific order of, of things that you must do in order to go into the presence of the Lord. I'll just quickly recap. You know, we're thinking of a rectangle and you come into his courts, this outer court with, we, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. Old song, but it's scripture. So I come through the gates. I'm in the outer court. Here we are. What's the first thing I see? I see an altar. What do I do at that altar? I sacrifice a bull or a goat or a sheep. Then there's a laver. So there's an altar. Then there's a laver. We're going to wash up. We're going to clean ourselves with the washing of the word. Then we get into the holy place. What's in the holy place? Well, there on my left is a lampstand, the light of the world, seven menorah, a menorah of seven lampstands. Then on the right is a table of showbread. All the, Jesus is the bread of life. I'm trying to make the analogies and I'm running quick. Then there's another altar. Yes, there's two altars. First altar is where he made the sacrifice. Now this altar that stands right in front of the most holy place, the holy of holies, is another altar. And this is the altar of burning incense, which represents our prayers according to the book of Revelation. So now we have a time of prayer. And then what happens is we go into his presence, this very small little room, where the only piece of furniture in there is the ark. If you ever thought about it, it's, it's, it's so dark and there's nothing to illuminate it except the glory of God. There's no natural light in that room. That's the presence. That's how we come into his presence. His presence is not out there. And by that I mean this. Some people come to a, a worship service, a time of worship, service, which means work. They come to a worship service and they enter his gates with thanksgiving in his heart, enter his courts with praise. Oh, we're out here and I make the sacrifice. I bring my gold and silver into the treasury. Boom, I get the washing of the word, the labor, but I'm not going any closer. Because then in there I start to pray. In there the light of his word illuminates my life. In there is the bread. Maybe you do go in there, but all the while, while you're out there dancing and shouting and singing and making your offer, God is waiting patiently. Where's God? God is in his holy temple. Where in the holy temple? Outer courts, say no. Inner courts, say no. Inner court, the most holy place, the holy of holies, that's where the presence of God was. That's not out there. Imagine what God feels as we worship and we are moving closer to him and we're moving closer and we're pressing in and we're pressing in and then now we're gonna go home. We never got there. We never got there. We never got there. Now, I get there. I get there as often as I can cut. Watch this. I love you, Jesus. Boom. I'm there right now, but I'm talking to you. I'm acutely aware of who he is. I am in the most holy place. I am worshiping the Lord right here. Now I'm back. You're weird. Yes, I know. I know. I know. I'm an alien. I don't belong here. This is not my home. Heaven is my home. Right? So I don't belong here. So... You know, color me crazy, color me crazy, that's fine, but I got the joy, 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 joy. I can stand and praise and worship the Lord with my hand lifted high when I have sewage running through my floor into my basement. Because I know this is all temporal, this is nothing. My light and momentary afflictions are nothing compared to being able to worship the rest of my life in his presence. Praise the Lord, oh my soul, praise the Lord. So you go into that secret place. You go into the Holy of Holies, the secret place, a place of intimacy where it's just you and him. You don't need a worship leader in there. The priest, Solomon, the, the priest, everybody, they took the presence in, then they came out. So when we lead in worship, when you go at a time of worship, it's on you. I can lead, I can lead if you need a leader 
Some people need a leader in worship. And so I'll worship, I'll go into his presence. I'll be in his presence and I'll be there. I will demonstrate what it looks like, what it feels like, what I, what I emote, what I think. I'll verbalize that as best I can. And I'll just be praising the Lord. I go in and then I kind of, you come in. If you come in, I'm gonna back right out. I got no business being in there with you. That's your business. I mean, it's a love seat. It's the Ark of the Covenant. It's just this big for two people to sit on. Intimacy. Into me, you see. Intimacy. I'll give you a definition of intimacy. You are to be intimate with the Lord. And what that means is, I'll tell you how you know whether you're intimate with somebody. Let's just start there. Okay, let's just start there. Um, Intimacy is, simple definition, shared secrets. Right? So you're with that coworker that's not your husband or not your wife, and you start sharing things with them that nobody else knows about you or your relationship. What's happening is you're developing an intimacy with them. You never touched their hand yet. You haven't jumped in the sack with them yet, but you're developing an intimacy with them. You're sharing secrets that nobody else knows. So when I go into his presence, I don't need you there. I got my time with him. I'm there. Right? So you have to have this ability to just say, you know what, I don't know what, why, that, why that's going on over there or why that person looks like that or how come, whatever. Listen, you do have to have the ability to go into his presence like that. If you don't have that ability, you're going to suffer because of that. You're going to suffer. And so I'm here to tr- teach and to train you. This is my responsibility. To teach and to train you. You're in school right now taking notes because I told you you couldn't remember all this. Give you some information and say, you know what? This is going to radically change my life. I want to be able to praise the Lord like that. I want to be able to be in his presence momentarily. I want when the wheels fall off the life of my car, I can come to church and still lift my hands and shout, praise the Lord, oh my soul, praise the Lord. I want that. Well, then this is how it happens. This is how it happens. So I'm going to preach the next two weeks after this, on worship as well. Then on Friday, before the final Sunday of the month, we're going to have a Fan the Flame service. Fan the Flame is going to be a night of just worship. And what's going to happen, Pastor? I don't know. (laughs) But I don't know. But it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. And you should really be here. And you should invite your friends to be here. Because you know what? God's going to show up. When God shows up, I don't know what happens, but I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen all kinds, I've seen cancers healed. I've seen all kinds of stuff. And then Dr. Nichols comes the next, this comes Sunday. I told him we were gonna do this fan the flame and he's coming on Sunday. He's gonna, he's gonna be, we're gonna have a, a, a table discussion like we've had in the past with him, but it's all gonna be about healing. We're gonna say, God, I mean, we're gonna say, Dr. Nichols, talk to us about healing. How does it happen? Why does it happen? Where does it happen? Give us all the lowdown on healing. How come it doesn't happen when we pray? Blah, blah, And then we're gonna have a Sunday evening service a healing service with Dr. Nicholas. It's going to be amazing. And when I told him we're going to have this fan the flame, the Friday night before, he goes, I'm coming down. I'm coming down early. I want to be with you. And a good friend of mine who's produced some of our music before, his name is Steve Nelson. He's a fantastic guitar player. He's going to be our guest that night. We're just going to, just going to go for it. We're just going to go for it. I don't know what that looks like for you. I know what that looks like for me, so I'm going to dress light. Verse eight, I have time, here we go. So the cherubim then spread their wings out over the place of the ark and they covered the ark, the angels did, and it's carrying poles. You know what that tells me? You're never alone. When you worship, you are joining in something that's already happening in heaven. Because worship, you, those who worship me will worship in what? Say spirit, right. Do you know in the Bible that's the only thing God is looking for? is people who will worship him in spirit. So what that means is you start in, oh my gosh, you've got to know this. Every worship starts in the flesh. Why? Because you have skin wrapped around your bones. I walked out here, I put a guitar on, and I said, okay, this is what we're going to do. Hey, wake up in there, soul. Rejoice, oh my soul, and all that's within me. Praise the Lord, oh my. Hey, wake up, and I'm going to start doing this. And then my spirit catches up. Yes. Says, whoa, what's going on? This man's in charge of his mind. This man has yielded his will and his emotions to the spirit of God. Let's get it on. Let's get it on. Uh, uh. Let's get intimate. 
Let's get intimate with the, with the Lord because in his presence is fullness of joy, signs and wonders and miracles and the fire of the Holy Ghost. But not out the way you're playing patty cake. Oh, oh, patty, you know, oh, God's good, God's good. Oh, that's great. Start there, but don't finish there. Go in there, go in there. Go in the Holy of Holies. I double dog dare you. Go in the Holy of Holies. You never worship alone. You are never worshiping alone. The angels are right there. Boof. The wings spread out over the Ark of the Covenant. You join in what's already happening in heaven. Revelation 11, 7, 11, the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their face, face down and they worshiped God. That's what's going on right now. That's what's happening right now. If you were to show up in heaven, do a little Star Trek, beam me up, Scotty. There you are, zing, you materialize at the altar of God. What are you going to see? You're going to see, uh, you're gonna, oh my gosh, you're going to see a six-winged angel. You're going to see four of them. One looks like a lion, one looks like an ox, one looks like a man, one looks like an eagle, and they're, they're flying around. And with two, they cover their face, and with two, they cover their legs, and with two, they fly, they're covered with eyes, and they keep saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. That's all they say. That's all they say. Holy, that's all they say. Well, how can you keep on saying holy for eternity? It's because he never you can never exhaust his holiness. You look at a diamond, it's got 52 facets. A round diamond is cut in 52 facets. And every time you turn the diamond, another, you see a different facet of the, you see a different facet of the diamond. You see the diamond in a new perspective. God's facets are infinite. This is why the living creatures can say holy forever, forever and ever. And then there's 24 elders. Boom, they took off their crowns. What am I doing wearing a crown in his presence? They throw it a crystal sea, across the crystal sea. Ding, 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 ding. Rumbles up against the throne. And there sits the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Oh, I don't like worship. I really need to go back. Really? Okay, verse nine, we gotta go. So the poles were so long, they stuck out the ends of the ark. Great. Then verse 10, there was nothing in the ark except the two tablets, right? Moses had placed them at Horeb, uh, where the Lord made a, oh, there it is. Underline the word covenant. They made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out. We have a covenant, you know. We, we don't live under the old covenant. We have a new covenant. The old covenant has been fulfilled. But we still have a covenant. Mark it, my words. There still is a covenant. And it's written on your heart, inscribed in the blood of, written with the blood of the fingertip of Jesus. This is why, this is why we don't have a list. Contracts are lists. I'm married because I signed a document 38 years ago. Congratulations, those fail all the time. Contracts are based in distrust. You do this, then I'll do that. And if you don't, then I'll smack you. I'll sue you, whatever, I'll leave, right? Covenants are, I'm gonna do this forever with you. That's covenant, right? God has made that with you. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For this is the law, the law, a law of the spirit of life. This is why we say, you know what? You need to check your heart. You need to look at what's going on inside of you. We say, what's God telling you? What do you see in the word? How's God treating you? What are you hearing God say? Not, well, I did this, I did this, I did these four things, therefore I'm a born-again Christian. No, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. I can teach a parrot to say the Lord's Prayer. I can teach a parrot to repeat the sinner's prayer. Are they saved? Are they sanctified? They go, no. Sorry about that, I'm back. The happy Eric's here. All right, so we're ready to finish this up? Let's go. All right, so, so we're the keepers of the new covenant, right? Anybody that wants to go back to the old covenant, stop eating lobster, stop eating lobster. That's the shellfish. You're not allowed to eat shellfish in the old covenant. That's one of the main reasons I got born again. No, 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 just kidding. But you know, there's all the things you, all, all these rules and regulations, Old Testament, right? So now, the new covenant comes along. And that's what we're after. Um, let's, just, let's just rock it on to verse 11. The priests then withdrew from the holy place, all the priests there, and they consecrated. Oh, that's unusual. What did they do? 
They consecrated themselves. But now in the New Testament, what happens? We don't consecrate ourselves. God consecrates us, right? 1 Corinthians 1.30. It is because of him that you are in Christ who has become for us wisdom of God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. What does that mean? He has supplied that for us. He has supplied our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. So the next verse, verse 12, all the Israelites and the musicians, Asaph, Heman, uh, Jedathan, and their sons, their relatives, they all stood on the east side of the, their dress in their good clothes. They were playing cymbals and harps and lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests. And when I thought about 120 priests, I thought to myself, why? This is the dedication of the temple in the Old Testament. Where do you see the number 120 on the day of Pentecost in the upper room? There were 120 other priests that day at the dedication of the second temple. All right, so we bring our offerings, our silver, our gold. We're the priests. We go in, we prepare to pray, we open our mouth, we get ready. That's the recap. Last two verses, 13. The trumpeters and the singers joined in unison with all the voices and gave praise and thanks to God, accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and instruments, and they raised their voices in praise to the Lord, and they sang. Well, first of all, it doesn't sound quiet. I thought worship was supposed to be quiet. We're all, we're, that's just worship. That's just, yes, there's a place for quiet. There's a place for quiet. There's a place for that. But there's, this, this does not sound quiet to me. You got 120 trumpets. I know one trumpet. It's not quiet. One trumpet's not quiet. You ever had a kid play trumpet in your house? Now imagine 120 of them in the bedroom. Not quiet. And then everyone else got their cymbals. Nobody plays a cymbal like ting, 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 ting. Nobody plays a cymbal like that. They're smashing these cymbals, man. We're here to worship God. We're here to yes. praise the Lord, oh my soul. And all, and all kinds of other instruments. And they raised their voices and they sang. Okay. I'm a, uh, um, would you do me a favor? I'll stand to your feet just for a second. I'm going to show you something in the spirit realm. But this is only going to be good for you if you participate. If you choose not to participate because you're too good to participate, then you're not going to reap the benefit of what I'm about to show you in the spirit realm. We're going to say hallelujah. And we're going to say it three times. The first time is it's going to be regular volume. The second is going to be like uh, you're, uh, you're really excited about. And then the third time is going to be like World Series, the best thing you've ever seen, Hallelujah. Okay, so we're going to do three hallelujahs. We're going to just start with just a normal hallelujah, like pastors preaching. And that was a good word. You're going to say hallelujah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. All right. Now we'll take it up to the middle. We're going to go from like two to like seven. Ready? One, two, three. Hallelujah. Ooh, that felt good. That felt good. Now we're going to go all the way. We're going to, we're going to take the volume to ten. We're going to take the volume to 10. I'm going to show you what happens. Ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. Hallelujah! You may be seated. You may be seated. Now, from a very practical perspective, what did you experience? You experienced, you experienced, I didn't tell you to shout after we said hallelujah, but people started clapping and going, yes, that's awesome. That's amazing. <laughs> Why did that happen? Because there's something, there's something attached to the, to the fourth day, to the fire, to the force, to the, to like, listen, I'm more than passive here. I'm engaged. Hallelujah. 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 Well, you will get what you sow, right? So either you're in it to win it or you're not. Well, that's just very emotional and that's very Pentecostal. It seems very charismatic and that's not me. Well, then you're not going to like heaven too much because I just told you there's 120 trumpets. Everybody's screaming and shouting. Everybody's got an instrument. Everybody's singing. Everybody's worshiping. Voices raised, shouting. 
praise the Lord, O my soul, praise the Lord. Well, I would look foolish if I shouted, no one else was shouting. Who cares? Who are you here to impress? Who are you worshiping? Well, my wife doesn't like it when I, well, that's tough for her. That's tough for her. Man up. Man up. We need men warrior worshipers. Man up. We need men warrior worshipers. We need female warrior worshipers. I mean, come on now. We do war in worship. See, the devil doesn't want anything to do with you when you're worshiping. You are like the anti-venom. You like you have a force field. He just leaves you. you he, he can't mess with you in your mind. He just stays away from you. But when you let that, when you power down, you're a loser. You're a loser. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Praise the Lord. Having a bad day? Praise the Lord. Well, I don't sing. Oh, yes, you do. I've heard you. I've heard you. I don't sing. I don't sing very well. That's fine. It doesn't say anywhere in here to sing well. It says make a joyful noise. So if that person standing in front of you doesn't like how you sing off key, they can move. They can move. And if that person in front of you, let me just tell you this, just total freedom. If that person in front of you is distracting you from your worship, move. That's why I always sit in the front. I don't want to have to look through 55 other people to get my worship on. I, I have, what's the, what's the new saying? I don't know what HD is, but I have 80 of them. ADHD, right? right. So, so anything, it, Miles just got it. I love you, Miles. We'll talk later. So... I've got to remove, listen, I've got to, re, what this means is remove, remove distractions. If that's distracting you, get rid of it. Here's another final helpful hint too. Like in personal worship, personal worship, for me, personal worship, if, I, if my mind starts to wonder and I start thinking about other stuff, I have found for me in my life, if I write down what that thing is, it's like I've captured it and set it over there and I'm not allowing it to bother anymore, bother me anymore because now I know it's there. I can go get it later. But if I don't do something with this flood, and my mind is obviously wired somewhat strangely, but if I don't do something with this piece of information, it can kind of like swirl around in there and bounce off of stuff like a pinball and then just totally destroy my worship. So I just got to, I got to jot it down. I got to jettison and I got to get rid of that. So, all right. Anyway, so let's move on. Let's finish up. So we recap. Here's the recap. You do the work of forgiving. You bring your silver and gold. You're the priest. You're the worship leader. You go in. You go into his presence. You uh, get ready for the party. You open your mouth, the fruit of your lip, whether it's good or broken in kind, and you get ready for the Holy Spirit to show up. And there and here it is, verse 14. We've done all that. We've said all that to say this. Then, 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 not till then, but then, the temple of the Lord, which is us, the heart here, filled with a cloud. And the priests then could not perform their service because of the cloud, the Shekinah glory, the cloud of God. The glory of the Lord then filled the temple. I want to be filled. I want his presence to fill me. Acts 1.8, Acts 2.4. And they were filled with the Spirit of God. And what is that? And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Are you talking about talking in tongues? That sounds like a Pentecost. No, I'm not talking about none of that. I said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Let's try it again. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So when, this, when the glory of the Lord shows up inside of you, there, there's generally two reactions that I would have. The and, and by that, I become acutely aware that his presence is there. I'm into I intimate worship. I, either A, either A, I fall on my face and I don't care who's watching and I'll snot up the carpet and that's it. Done. I'll stay there forever. I've seen people actually, under the weightiness, under the glory of God, the heaviness of God, just figuratively be stuck to the carpet. They're just not going to get up. You, they're like a wet rag. But there's the other side of that that also goes, whew. I would, 
I would not want to be anyone that would approach me right now of a demonic nature, because I'll, I'll tear your head off. I will then drink the blood out of your inverted head. I will rip your arms off and then beat you with them. See, I told you I was just a little strange. But that, what is that? That is this. That is this. That is this. That not a, oh, I'm a Christian. I, I mean, I'm a, uh, I mean, I, I, no, no, no. There is no, there is no middle ground. There is no sitting on the fence. There is no yellow line. There is, there is no middle of the road. You're either get right or get left. That's just the way that it is. That's how Jesus preached. And that's why some just turned and said, it's too much. I can't pay that price. I mean, that was a little graphic, but I think it drove home the point that, there's, that, there, that when the power of God comes on you, you're, I mean, you're flying off the top rope. A little WWF stuff, right? Yeah, boom, in the spirit realm. That's where you do battle for your kids, for your grandkids, for your marriage. You say, devil, back up. You've got no right here. I'm a child of God. I have the spirit of God living in me. I will not stand for that in my house. So God, you've got to do something. I'm not going to get out of this and then start, you know, I'm not going to, because we, re- we wrestle not with flesh and blood. It's, listen, wife, your husband is not your enemy. Don't beat him up. Listen, husbands, your wife is not your enemy. Don't beat her up in any way. Love her like Christ loved the church. But the place that you do battle and the place that you get angry is because your enemy is the devil, not your spouse. I said the enemy is the devil, not your kids, not your grandkids, not your job, not your boss, not the government. None of that's your enemy. You have an enemy, the enemy of your soul. And so when you go into the whole, and you become energized like, oh my gosh. The spirit of God rises up. When the enemy comes in, then like a flood, the spirit of God raises up a standard against it. Not when the enemy comes in like a flood, comma, the spirit of God raises up a standard. When the, spirit, when the enemy comes in, comma, then like a flood, the spirit of God comes. I got two more sermons. I, 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 I don't know where we're all going to end up, but, but we're going to finish here. So what happened is the spirit of God came. They filled the measure of the fullness. Boom. Verse 14. The priests could not perform. What this means is when you come into his presence, your activity stops. God is not impressed. You you don't do anything that impresses God other than get on your face before him and worship him. It's not your strength, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. This is why we use terms like soak, marinate, saturate, listen, rest, what is that? That's when you just, you just get on your face. I don't need a song. I don't need worship. I don't need a hazer. I don't need lights. I don't need a guitar. I don't need just the right Spotify list. I just need him on my face, soaking in his presence. The reason I use the word marinate, and I'll stop here. The reason I use the word marinate, because when I traveled to Korea, uh, several times, they didn't use phrases like this. They used the word marinate. And they said, why do you use the word marinate? He goes, because when you have a tough piece of meat that needs to be softened, you soak it in wine. I said, oh, I like that. Because I'm a pretty tough piece of meat. I'm a tough piece of meat sometimes. You know why? Because you get beat up during the week. You get beat up during the day. Someone runs over your backside and you get seared. You know what seared is? Seared is when you have a piece of meat and it gets and it locks in and it locks you up. But you take a tough piece of meat like that, like, <laughs> like that tough piece of meat we used to have in Bible college, you know what I'm saying, back in the day. You know, meat's one of those things you get what you pay for. 
right? Like, babe, babe, why am I still chewing this five minutes later? What was on sale? It was really cheap. It was meat. Well, yeah, but let's take a look at what it was. It was some stew meat or something like that. It wasn't a ribeye because I'm a ribeye, man. A little fat, a little fat. Got to love the fat. But you take a tough piece of meat, you put it in that crock pot all day long, you let it soak, you let it marinate. You, what do you do? You beat it with one of the hammers. It's got little pokey things on it, right? And the stuff in the wine or whatever it is, it kind of eats it up, meat, tenderizes it. And now, you can not, now God can use you. Now God, like, you're not a tough piece of meat anymore. You've, you've just been in my presence. When I get up off the floor at time of worshiping the Lord, I'm not only the strongest that I'll be that day, but I'm also the most tender that I'll ever be that day too. So, towards my kids, towards my grandkids. Well, why are you crying? I don't know. He's just here. He's good. And his love endures forever. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, more information about this message, or to support our ministry. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.